This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com, Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Welcome, welcome, welcome to After the Bell. I am still Corey Graves. Crown Jewel is in the books. We've got a brand new King of the Ring and the first ever winner of the Queen's Crown Tournament, which is how we arrived here today, taking a look back to the past, of course, helping me navigate this journey into how we got here, the Barney Rubble to my Fred Flintstone. The voice of NXT 2.0, Vic Joseph. Vic, what's the word? Yabba dabba do. I love the fact that we're going over King of the Ring. It's one of my favorite events. It was one of my favorite events as a kid when it came to WWE programming. So I'm really stoked to talk about this one in particular because it was the first time me and a group of my friends actually ordered a WWE pay-per-view. Well, before we dive in too deep to King of the Ring 1995, if you haven't already seen it or watched it recently, pull it up, WWE Network on Peacock, King of the Ring 1995. It is what we are talking about, what we are reliving this week on After the Bell. But before we get to the fun part, Vic, the streak is over. Yes, it apparently is. Three weeks in a row, I was able to bring my best self to the podcast in my comfy satin pajamas. But alas, uh, full disclosure, I had to go halfway across the earth this week. My satin pajamas are at the dry cleaners, man. Did you wear this on the plane? Did you fly halfway around the world in your satin pajamas? Listen, there were a lot of people on the plane. Just ask. You'll find out the answer for yourself. I may have been at my best at about 35,000 feet in the air, feeling comfy AF, But alas, this week, back to the street clothes. The satin pajamas are coming back. I'm still making it a thing, but we're not here to talk about comfortable sleepwear. We're reliving King of the Ring 1995. As always, when we do these sort of fun, deep dives, our producers, Alex and Dan, have joined the fun. Alex, how are you this morning? I'm great, guys. I, you know, also missed the satin pajama menu or memo, but I'd actually, I wouldn't have any to wear anyway, so... Well, well, there is quite the menu at Graves' house, actually. So I, heard, actually, I have heard that. You're right. quite I'm, selection I'm working menu. on building out the menu. I've only got a couple of <laughs> options right now. I need more. Christmas is right around the corner. Uh, so anyone that needs to figure out what to get me, obnoxious satin pajamas are on the menu. Dan Reichert, what's the good word this morning? Good word is there's no shame in being comfortable on a flight. I have worn many gym shorts, potentially even some hungover pajama pants on flights. You got to be comfortable there. You can do slippers. 
Back when I, before I had the TSA pre-check and you got to take your shoes off, you can wear some slippers or sandals to take those off real quick. Just be comfy. It's a flight. It's a pain. I, see, I think there's a line that can't be crossed. I, yeah, I see people walking through airports, <laughs> like you just mentioned, in pajama pants. Like a bum. Oftentimes yeah. carrying pillows. Have a little yeah. bit of pride in yourself. Oh, no, I understand. Sleep mask. Give me the sleep mask. Give me the, uh, the headphones. Listen, just comfy a nice, as hell. And a, a sweatsuit is acceptable, but, but have, have a little couth. You know, you are in some of the busiest places in the world. These massive airports. There are many, many people. Just take a little pride in yourself, man. I mean, there was a, there once upon a time. If you watch any old TV shows, or actually probably predating all of our time, uh, people used to get dressed up to mm-hmm. fly. Like, like you would put on a suit. like suits and ties. Yeah. yeah, that was like a like a social activity. Uh, and then people like Dan ruined it for all of us. So comfort above all else. Feet need to be covered on airlines. I, yeah, I don't want to see toenails. I'm not barefoot. No, 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 no. Well, you just said slippers and sandals. You no, don't wear the slippers, slippers. are like the ones where it covers your feet. They're like nice winter ones where you, you tuck them in there and it's yeah. nice. And then on a long there. flight, Dan, the majority of Americans will take them off because it's easy to do and sit there with their nasty feet I don't do that. No, I'm a respectful no, no. airline Feet passport. covered. I don't know what kind of airline you've been flying, Vic, but that's uh, that's that's not acceptable. Oh, it happens. Not acceptable. This conversation is oddly apropos for uh, for this event because there was indeed a kiss my foot match at King oh, of the Ring 1995. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there sure was. Some would argue it was the headliner, maybe the highest profile matchup of the entire night. Bret Hart, Jerry the King Lawler, the infamous kiss my foot match. We'll get there as the show progresses, but let's start at the very top. The date was June 25th, 1995. We are in the spectrum, the historic spectrum in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And we are opened at the top of the King of the Ring event by several familiar faces and one not too familiar. Vince McMahon is one of your commentators. The other being Doc Hendricks, known to most as Michael P.S. Hayes. And the next face we see... Stephanie Wyand. What a blast from the past this was, guys. I I couldn't for a billion dollars have named her or even thought about her, but the minute I saw her face on my television, I went, oh, I remember Stephanie Wyand. Well, it's funny we talk about her because when Todd Pettengill came back for NXT's In Your House in June, we were going to have the backstage interviewers dressed as Stephanie and kind of be like little presents to Todd Pettengill throughout the show because he... uh enjoys talking about her because it was so odd. She came out of a Christmas present, if you guys remember when she debuted. It was a Christmas really? present to Todd Pettengill on whatever the Saturday morning show was at the time. <laughs> I don't recall um, that at all. Mania. It might have been Mania, though. Yeah, I remember Mania. Todd she, she filled in for Savage. Savage used to co-host it with Pettengill. And I was right. like, okay, that's going to be really big shoes to fill. And then Stephanie Wyatt just to fill in for Randy Savage, which is a very night and day difference. At what point did that show turn into Livewire? Because I remember that wasn't was... Livewire Sunday. I thought Saturday was Mania. Sunday was Livewire. Oh, you might be you might be right, Dan. You might be right there. But, but I remember Livewire very very uh, vividly. That's <laughs> the story of old Stephanie, who didn't last very long. If you want to look up her Wikipedia, old familiar face to welcome us to the nostalgia trip of King of the Ring 1995. Now, Alex, in doing so, doing your research as you do so well on behalf of the ATB crew. Uh, you came across a few less than favorable reviews of King of the Ring 1995. 
yeah. from the fans' perspective. So this event is largely considered by by the fans of in the WWE universe to be one of the uh, least favorable uh, pay-per-views in the history of, that the company has produced. And as we go through this today on this episode, you're going to understand why. There were some bright spots and certainly some uh, historical significance to this event, however. And that takes me back to what you mentioned earlier, Graves, the Philadelphia Spectrum, the home of the Broad Street Bullies back in the 70s. This uh, uh, this building was basically, if you would say the most important building to the history of the WWE was Madison Square Garden, I would say the Spectrum was either number two or even 1A. I mean, they were running the Spectrum back all the way to 1974. Uh, King of the Ring 1995 was the last televised event ever from the Spectrum. Uh, there were a couple house shows that came after that into 1996, but in 96 is when... Ed Snyder, the chairman of the Flyers, opened the new building right next door, which would, was at the time known as the Core State Center. Now it's known as the Wells Fargo Center. Uh, and that's when they, the WWE started running that building. WCW would take over the Spectrum at, after that, run for a few more years until the Spectrum was eventually demolished in 2009. So that is why this event is historical. The Spectrum meant a ton to the Northeast area for the WWE, and this was one of the last events they ever ran there. That was the most passionate description of a wrestling venue I think I have ever heard in well, my life. Well, I am from Philadelphia, Graves, so this this kind of means a little bit to me. So, I touch uh, it. It hits him in the heart. It Graves. does. It hits me in the heart, even though this event didn't live up to what the Spectrum really meant to, to the company. <laughs> <laughs> well, WWE leaned in heavily to the Philadelphia theme for the night. It felt like every other sentence out of Mr. McMahon's mouth on commentary involved the one and only Rocky Balboa. But the theme pertaining to Rocky Balboa was uh, involving a certain Puerto Rican superstar at the time, one Savio Vega, who would kick off the night, at least on Peacock, courtesy of Coliseum Home Video, in a match that took place earlier in the night on the, uh, I, I guess nowadays we would call it a kickoff show, but remember in the days of cable when you had to call an order, you had 30 minutes, there was a little countdown in the corner and they'd have a match on for you. Basically the same concept as we use modern day kickoff shows. Uh, but the first match of the tournament actually took place on that IRS versus Savio Vega, basically WWE's answer to Rocky Balboa. I love Vince doing the Rocky comparisons because at one point he says like, oh, it's, it's reminiscent of Rocky Balboa's antics. And it's like, antics, he's not Bugs Bunny. He's, he's Rocky Balboa. <laughs> antics, he's not doing pranks and like pantsing Apollo. Savio <laughs> Vega, I remember this uh, very, you know, specifically with my buddies. We became huge Savio Vega fans. So they they did their job that night in hooking us because we're like, oh, this is the guy I wanted Shawn Michaels to win. But I was like, oh man, Savio Vega, this is so cool. He's being able to step up and fill in because of course, Razor Ramon, who was in the tournament, had to be taken out of the tournament for an injury to the ribs. Um, I don't know if that was real or part of the right. story, but nonetheless, he was injured. So Savio Vega fills in, defeats IRS, obviously, in this matchup to get into the quote unquote tournament and pay-per-view proper as we call it in the uh, office, quote unquote. But the table has now been set. Savio Vega has got to run the table. He's got to win three matches in a matter of hours, a task so monumental, it's got to be impossible, right? It's got to be. That's what hooked us. We're like, this guy's going to do it. This is it. This is going to be history. I mean, well, and if you include forward. this qualifying match that happened before the pay-per-view kicked off, it's actually four matches. That's true. That is true. And I, I which is pretty wild. I should have known better because every time Savio was on the screen, that was driven home. It was an effective <laughs> story. It painted Savio as an underdog and Savio's 
reward for defeating Erwin R. Scheister, a date with Yokozuna. Bum, bum, bum. No easy task to open the night. When Yoko came out, they said something about, like, Jim Cornette as the representation of Mr. Fuji. I'm trying to remember storyline-wise what was going on then. Like, was Fuji out for a bit? Was he managing someone else? Like, why was Cornette announced that way? I, I remember Owen and Yoko as tag champs, which was during this time frame, and I always remember Cornette. I remember Yoko individually with Fuji, but I don't recall yeah. the, the storyline as to why Cornette was with Yoko and uh, Owen Hart. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. Before the uh, pay-per-view actually got started, we actually had a, a very nice introduction to the city of Philadelphia, courtesy of something I completely forgot existed, which was the WWE blimp. The WWE oh, blimp, yeah. the Stridex airship. Was it Stridex? I can't well, remember. Well, later on, like Attitude Arrow was Stridex. Yes, but there was actually two vessels on this pay-per-view. There was the outdoor blimp that was hovering over the city of Philadelphia in the spectrum, and then there was the indoor Stridex blimp in the arena. I don't, what was up with the aircrafts on, in 1990? I, I, I did notice when they showed the blimp <laughs> shot, they said uh, flown by Captain Kerwin Silfies. <laughs> a nice little yes. inside nod to uh, one, of our, uh, one of our longtime directors here in WWE. Funny little nod. I'm sure a little VKM humor, as they like to say. Uh, so Yokozuna, Savio Vega kicks things off for the tournament proper. There's no way Savio can overcome the 647-pound Yokozuna, which let's just say enough has been said and written about how great Yoko was. What a spectacular human specimen he was to be that size, which is enormous, like unfathomably large, yet still be able to move like a cat. How impressed were you guys by Yokozuna in this opening match? I was more impressed, not only with the opening match, we talk about, you know, the icon special that came out on Yokozuna to totally understand what he could do in the ring for a man his size. He kept up with Savio Vega, and yeah, it was a no very it. entertaining opening matchup. And to your point off of the, I'm just going to call it the pre-show, the, the pre-show is you're sitting there going, Okay, well, this was a cool run. This was a fun story. I understand Yokozuna is going to go to the second round. He's going to advance. But no, the odds were overcome. But And it was a very entertaining match. And it is credit to Yokozuna for the, for the superstar and the athlete that he truly was. It seemed so like a true threat back then. I remember as a kid, whenever one of my favorites was going against him, thinking like, man, I love, you know, Wrestler X, but how are they going to beat Yokozuna? He's huge. He's such a badass. He's great. I still to this day can't remember the exact moment, but it was later in life before I realized that Yoko was not, in fact, a Japanese sumo champion. He's a member of, of the prestigious Anawai family. I mean, one of the most powerful families, obviously head of the table, Roman Reigns. Same tribe, Yokozuna, man, absolutely 
awesome. Unfortunately for Yoko, his night would end there, and we move on to a backstage, which is my favorite thread of the entire evening, my favorite story heading into this. The rivalry between Brett the Hitman Hart and Jerry Lawler had become so heated that somebody had to be humiliated into kissing the other's foot, and Jerry Lawler spent weeks Weeks leading up to this pay-per-view, making absolutely sure that his feet were as disgusting as humanly possible. I, I hated those updates every week. Every single Raw, you would see some vignette of Lawler, like, in a horse stable, just, like, stomping around in horse crap. And just, oh, man, this is the gross, like, super close-ups of Jerry Lawler's foot every single week on my television. I I, I loved it. Looking back now, thinking about that match that we see later in the night when he had his foot in the stable, and he'd be like, bro, I'm just going to have to kiss this foot. And he'd have his pant leg all rolled up to his knees, and you're just like, Ugh. also, Brian I mean, Jerry Lawler. Yes, it was great. King, King for my money, never had a, a proper run in WWE. But obviously, if you've done any sort of homework, you know about Memphis, you know about what Jerry Lawler's done. This was, I think, the best and biggest platform for Jerry Lawler doing what he does still physically in his, I, I don't want to say still, Lawler's still physically in his prime. He's, I think he's, what, 70 now? And he still throws a perfect drop kick. It just defies all logic. But this was so much fun. And the fact that they kept throwing back to it throughout the night, it built the anticipation. You could not wait. I think everybody watching knew that Lawler was not going to win that match. But you couldn't wait to see the snarky king get his. Also an all-timer graphic when they show the matchup screen with like Brett Lawler. And then there's like a giant, you know, foot in the middle of it. Right. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Uh, I remember being obsessed. Uh, you know, I think in 95, I was about eight, eight years old. I remember being obsessed with two storylines that involved Bret Hart back in this back in this era. Can I guess what one, the other one was? Go ahead. Isaac Yankum. No, it was. So obviously <laughs> I was I was obsessed with Lawler and Brett during this time. I hated Lawler so much. And I was obsessed with finding out who was going to kiss whose foot at this event. The other was Brett and Bob Backlund, who we'll see later in, yes. <laughs> in this ah, event, yeah, which was another classic early 90s feud for Bret Hart. Yeah, no well, doubt did, about that one. Didn't the storyline lead to Isaac Yankum? Because wasn't it like it Lawler yes, sort of yes, complaining yes, about yes, his mouth? And then like, SummerSlam, yeah. I believe that year, SummerSlam 95, was... Bret Hart versus Isaac Yankum, which I was present at at the then Pittsburgh Civic Arena. Uh, but the Kiss My Foot match still to come. Before we get there, another tournament matchup. You got the roadie. This is long before he was the D-O-double-G. Did not officially earned the title. I believe they make reference to the fact that he refers to himself as the road dog. Or I think somebody. Jared calls him that once, and you can see flashes of it. He's got the dances and stuff. You can see the road dog in there. Yeah, you were seeing the, the very the very first incarnations of whom we would end up knowing as the D-O-double-G. And Alex, you, you mentioned how the fans don't necessarily love this card top to bottom. I found myself agreeing with most of them. When the surprise sleeper matchup of the card is the roadie, Versus Bob Sparkplug Holly. Maybe not the strongest card on paper in the history of the WWE, but these two were having a hell of a match. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, until the end. <laughs> until the end. <laughs> I, I love Doc Hendricks explaining how uh, Rhodey got in there, and he goes, with, without a hint of irony, he beat the illustrious Doink the Clown. <laughs> illustrious, <laughs> that, yes. Nothing, nothing against Matt Bourne, great wrestler, but like that's just a hilarious out-of-context sentence. There have been, yeah, yes, there there have been many adjectives you, to describe Doink the Wrestling Clown, 
Uh, illustrious, probably not the most apropos, but that's where uh, PS went with it. Oh, guys, and I almost, I, I would be remiss to not bring it up. We've seen them by this point in the card several times. If you're wondering, yes, those two handsome young gentlemen manning the entrance doors, none other than Matt and Jeff Hardy. Ah, it's that's right. Absolutely wild to see how young and fresh faced both of those guys were. Now they're they're staples, arguably one of the greatest tag teams of all time. Uh pulling door duty tonight at King of the Ring in 95. <laughs> they gotta be 21, 22 or something at this point, right? I, yeah. I refuse to believe that. I still think that Matt and Jeff Hardy are in their early 20s. <laughs> right. I don't know why. They, as long as I've known them, as long as I've been around them, I don't feel like they've ever actually truly aged. Was it then, the, uh, was it 96 when Ahmed goes running through the doors and just like knocks the two guys out of the way? It might have been. I think that might be the Hardys too. I can't wait till we do an old pay-per-view with Ahmed Johnson. I oh, love so Ahmed much Johnson. to talk about there. Only talk all day. Bob Holly and the roadie, the one thing that we want to talk about with Doc Hendricks, they saved us, though, from a matchup we could have had because we could have easily had Doink the Clown versus Mantar in the first round. That is those true. Two gentlemen I, I think we might be so. able to get an entire podcast out of that matchup. Doink <laughs> the that's Clown a cap versus, to both those superstars. There, there, were, there was a Mantar <laughs> sighting. There was some B-roll shown of, of how uh, yeah, Bob's – remember when he was Thurman's sparky plug? Mm-hmm. My mom that had a crush was, on him. Did she? She, he was the one wrestler back then that whenever he was on TV, my mom was always like, ooh, I like that, uh, that, that sparky plug. It, it was from the NASCAR <laughs> vignettes, huh, when he was whipping it was around Kansas. in his NASCAR. <laughs> NASCAR guy with a mullet, absolutely, yeah. Well, he had Doing the gear on, they had the gear on this night. He was wearing the WWE racing team right, on his which, trunks. Mm-hmm. I was wondering if that was, in fact, a real thing. At any I believe point. it was well, for, a, for a short time. I know I later was, on when, like, Kofi and Randy had the story where they destroyed the race car. I know by that point, the company had grown to where we did actually have some representation Representation in the racing world at the time of sparky plug i don't know if i recall well i always believed these like occupational gimmicks when i was a kid so i thought he was a real race car driver and with the jeff jarrett vignettes when it was like oh country star jeff jarrett come to WWE, i asked my mom like hey you listen to country music did you know that jeff jarrett's about to be a wrestler and she was like who <laughs> and i was like jeff jarrett the famous country music star you must you know double him. j yeah, he's on the, the Intercontinental Champion. Yeah. Oh, Spend my time amazing. working hard on the go. You haven't heard that, Mom? <laughs> yes. Come on. I thought it was a huge country hit. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. So can we talk about the end of this match? I, I want to get your, your guys' take on what actually happened here. Was, was it a three count or was it not a three count? Listen, hey, the, to this very day, if the shoulders aren't up, the referee's got to count to three. It was a little wonky. I'll give you that. Uh, I kind of, I don't mind that once in a blue moon. To me, I, I sort of like when something goes awry or it's not necessarily clean because cast a little doubt. Anybody who's ever, you know, actually competed or been in a fight knows that stuff doesn't usually go according to plan. Sometimes <laughs> you kick out at three and a quarter. You know, That's right. it happens. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, unfortunately, in our next match, neither man kicked out and neither man advanced. And this on paper was probably the strongest matchup of the card. Kama, WWE Hall of Famer, Kama, Papa Shango, the Godfather, whatever you want to call him, versus HBK. This one had me excited because I forgot that we would not get any satisfaction out of this matchup. It goes to a draw, thus giving a bye in the next round. Also, when the match ends, there is the most tight close-up on Sean's face, giving the most obvious full... Uh, Yes, Just like completely yes. clear. Sean, and not happy at all yes. with the outcome. I believe the show where Vince is constantly going like, oh, it's family entertainment for everyone. Yeah. For the kids. <laughs> Except for that part. Yeah. Philadelphia legend Joe Frazier in attendance during this match, they, they made sure to point Ooh, out, which was yeah. fed into our Rocky storyline graves. 
Of course, because I don't know if you guys knew this, but it's Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, the home of Rocky Balboa. <laughs> also, this was so great because this was around the time Sean was turning babyface, I think. And like, I always hated Sean when he was feuding with Razor, but like, you couldn't deny how cool he was. He was the coolest guy on Raw every week. And at this point, it was like, okay to cheer Sean Michaels. And I thought it was so awesome seeing that. Like, okay, he's high-fiving people on the way out and everything. Like, he's a good guy now. This is where he go. I don't know how many more months is, but doesn't he take the Insiguri from Owen Hart? Does Owen the collapse angle. The, he goes away. He year, comes I back think. at the Royal Rumble. He wins the Rumble. Then he goes on to have the boyhood dream come true in March of the following year. So yeah, right, this that is, was March of 96. Yeah. Yeah. This is right around the turn. He must have just gotten power bombed by Sid the night after WrestleMania and then comes back with Diesel, two dudes with attitudes. I don't know how they were able to focus with the creatures of the night in the front row. Oh, listen, it, it was so it was good. some of Undertaker's more nefarious work. The creatures of the night who, uh, you know, clearly just left drama class and decided to sit in the front row and not enjoy WWE King of the Ring at the time. Did they think they were going to a Cure show? Was that what they, they thought they were going to see the Cure? But actually, yes, it was yes. WWE. They, they, they were they were <laughs> very disappointed when it turned out to be the Taker rather than Robert Smith. Had Kama uh, melted down the urn yet? Yes, that was another storyline that that was referenced on commentary multiple times that the undertaker still a super powerful being, but maybe not the same undertaker as when he had the mysterious urn, which I loved because it was like, okay, if undertaker is not going to be the total and usual badass that he normally is, it makes sense because his source of power has been compromised. Well, so that it got compromised at the rumble 94 famously when all the green smoke started coming with out. the casket so, match with the Okazuna, right? But, but that was salvageable at that point, right? Was it still the same urn? You just like, it, there were multiple urns. Some of them yeah. had lights in them. Uh, yeah. I remember Kama at one point melted it down into that amazing chain, which uh, would probably cost four to five million dollars these days uh, if that were actual gold. The biggest gold chain in the history of gold chains, rocked by Kama Mustafa. Correct me if I'm wrong. Isn't it SummerSlam 94, Undertaker versus Undertaker? And yes. that's where the new urn is unveiled because oh, Paul Bear gets in with the right, big urn and the spotlight shoots out of it and he's swarming mm -hmm. it around. And so I think that's where the new urn came. But, you know, lo and behold, almost a year later, he's still not as strong as he once was. Well, the Undertaker would need to be at full power for his adversary on this evening. I'm talking about Mabel, one half of Men on a mission by this point. Men on a mission had given up on the mission. It was no longer about the mission. It was about personal success and wealth and glory and led to the ring by Mo, who was yet to be knighted. Uh, Mabel versus The Undertaker, two huge human beings colliding with, shockingly, to everybody, Mabel picks up the W over the dead man. Yeah, that was shocking. I don't think anyone, I mean, I think that kind of helped Mabel, obviously, because people were so shocked and so angry and so mad that this dude who was in a tag team just beat The Undertaker. Like, there's no way. But I will say, to your point, these guys won a pretty good amount of time, too, going they back sure and forth. They sure did. And one, my big takeaway, I think, from this event was how awesome I didn't realize or remember that Mabel was. We just talked at the top of the show about Yokozuna and what a, a physical anomaly he was. I got to, to meet Mabel on several occasions uh, around his Big Daddy V run. Uh, he was still with the company when I uh, was, was being extra. And I remember 
he was such a cool guy. He was one of the main roster guys who always had time for me and always wanted to chat and would be standing around the ring before the show. And Mabel always, yeah, he remembered me and had come up and he always wanted to talk about tattoos. Um, so I always liked him on a personal level. I, I never wouldn't consider him a friend or say I knew him, but Mabel was always really cool to me. So going back and watching this and reliving what a freak athlete he also was. Mabel is gigantic. He, he's had to be, what, six, seven, six, eight, easy, if not more, well over 500 pounds. And the, the dude could move. He was six foot nine, by the way. I just looked it up while you're six foot nine. Jeez. Yeah, I always remembered him as a big guy, but then like the height, I would forget about until they do the face to face with Taker. And it's like, holy crap, they're like right there. What gets lost too with Mabel is think about all the different characters he played. He had Mabel and Men on the Mission, then the heel Mabel single run. Then he had Viscera in the, you know, un underneath the Undertaker's spell and, and the, yeah, the Ministry of Darkness. Then he came back as Big Daddy V, you know, and, yep. he had, and then he came in Big Daddy V, angry with the black jumpsuit singlet, and then he came in with pajamas. I mean, this is a guy who was World, able to yeah. transform. love machine. The love throughout his entire career, which is is hard to do. It's very I, hard to yeah, do. I, I agree, and I and I just I I think Mabel deserves a little bit more love on uh, his his contributions and just if for nothing else the athleticism he possessed and and off screen in my personal experience being a hell of a human being, being a really great guy, and and you know there are worse things to say about somebody to their contributions than hey that guy was a really great guy. And what have we learned about guys of his size in this business? Longevity is not usually a strong suit. Like guys who are that size, they usually don't have that long of a career in the business. And Mabel, as you pointed out, Vic, was able to reinvent himself so many times and stay healthy enough to have a pretty long and, and solid career in the WWE. Because you're usually a one-trick pony when you're that size. Correct. You know, six foot, oh, he's he's strong. He's going to do it. But Kane reinvented himself. Isaac Ingham, DDS, who we talked about, all the way through his career, all the different versions of The Undertaker. It's tough to do. And if you need to realize what a massive human being Mabel truly was, watch him execute the spinning heel kick. Because he essentially rolls across the top of his own shoulders and still kicks his opponent directly in the face. He is huge. I cannot overstate that. One of the most impressive physical specimens I've ever met in my life. Hey, can you guys do research too, Gravy? Speaking of your spinning heel kick, I'm pretty sure Mabel threw a moonsault one time. I don't know about that. For some reason, that, I'm thinking he came off the top rope. If somebody can find that. Well, I'm not saying Mabel never came off the top rope. I don't recall a moonsault, but we would um, see Big Vis head up to the high rent district later in the show. But right here, Mabel picks up the win over The Undertaker to advance in the King of the Ring tournament. On May 10th, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. What a wonderful day! This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. I stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters May 10. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Well, with Shawn Michaels and Kama, as you just said, with his uh, Shawn Michaels BS comment, count out, both men are out. So that means Mabel goes to the Time finals. limit draw, Vic. Time yeah, it was limit time draw. limit draw, which was 15. 
15 minutes. minutes. Yep. 15 minutes. So Mabel, by defeating The Undertaker, goes now automatically to the finals. So there's one more match to determine who is going to face Mabel, and that becomes Savio Vega and the roadie. Savio Vega versus the roadie in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, the hometown of Rocky Balboa. Take a shot. Savio Vega, with his back against the wall, faces off with J-E-F-F-J-A-R-R-E-T-T. Apostrophe S's charge, the roadie. I just wanted to say that. It's just too much fun. We're not talking about Jeff Jarrett. We're talking about the roadie. And in another shocker of an upset, shocking the entire WWE universe and the city of Philadelphia, the birthplace of Rocky Balboa, Savio Vega does the unthinkable and advances again. And now you're thinking there's no, there, it's, he, can't, he can't be denied. He's already defeated IRS. He defeated Yokozuna. He's defeated the roadie. This is the night for Savio Vega, who now is going to face Mabel to be crowned king of the ring. Savio Vega with his sights set on Apollo Creed. That's the thing. If you want to do the Rocky story, why Savio Mabel? Why not do Savio against Taker or Sean? Like somebody to be that Apollo. Like, okay, they're obviously going to win. They're the world champion, you know, caliber athlete. Whereas Mabel, no one expected to get that far. But how much fun is that, though? I mean, it, it was... I guess in hindsight, people don't love the pay-per-view. It doesn't hold up. I honestly struggled at times to get through it. However, sometimes it's cool to just have shocking, uh, like, I didn't see that coming. Wait, multiple upsets in one tournament? It's no longer just the Cinderella story. There can't only be one Cinderella in March Madness. Now there are multiple. Wait a minute. What are we doing? I think I think the plan was here to make Mabel a monster. I guess the logic is to make two stars out of it. You know, Correct. really put Savio over and Andy got Mabel there. And it works because uh, Savio beat Yoko in the, er- in the earlier round. So it's like, okay, Yoko and, and Mabel are two huge guys. So if he's able to beat Yokozuna in the early rounds, who says he can't beat Mabel in the finals? Also, Road Dog, deceptively large human being. Yeah, he looks tall here. He's very, <laughs> he's very tall to this day. Road Dog is a, is a much larger than average human being. Unfortunately, the roadies night would end at the hands of Savio Vega and Savio would find himself with a few moments on his hands to recover, to prepare for Mabel in the tournament finals. And while he is doing this preparation, the time has finally arrived. The kiss my foot match is next. Bret Hart, Jerry, the King Lawler. This was again, Jerry Lawler, absolutely on fire. Plenty of Burger King chants from the Philadelphia WWE universe. This was a great match between two technicians, two of the all-time greats. And when you think about that, we talked about those vignettes that we saw through the thread throughout the show and leading up to with the manure that Dan talked about. Tell me, guys, there was a seed of doubt planted that Bret Hart was going to kiss Jerry Lawler's foot. Absolutely. I mean, there was you, a you little were a dumb bit child. In you were a dumb child. <laughs> there was child. a little bit in there, like, oh my God, Bret Hart. Nobody, I take no, offense no. to that, Graves. Yeah. I was worried for Bret. Yeah, 100% I was worried for at the Brett. age of eight. Graves <laughs> is guys. looking in hindsight, but Graves at the time was like, ooh, maybe Bret's going to kiss his foot. That, that'd be no, disgusting. Man, I was like, that's Come the on. excellence of execution. Bret Hart's oh, going to shut my. Jerry Lawler up Never once mind. and for all. I, I knew what the outcome was going to be. I had no doubt. I had no fear, but it was a really, definitely to me, the best match on the card just because of the pacing and the story that they told two true pros didn't do anything too spectacular. It was nothing outrageous. It was just a very solid match. Did they tell a story in the match? Sure did. Oh, wow. And by the way, Jerry Lawler, great drop kick. Awesome right hand. Best in the business. Oh, best Both in of the them business. with their punches are Man. incredible, crisp. They just look great. 
Yeah, absolutely unbelievable match. I'm sorry to spoil it for you, everybody that's listening. In the event that you have not yet relived King of the Ring 1995, Jerry Lawler draws the short end of the stick. <laughs> Jerry is going to be forced to kiss the foot of Brett the Hitman Hart in the wake of the Hitman locking in the sharpshooter and holding it for an extra four seconds. Brett didn't want to get himself disqualified, didn't want to get the decision reversed, which Doc Hendricks so eloquently pointed out. But Brett locked in the maximum suffering for the king and then gave old Jerry a face full of foot. It was awesome. Taking off his sock, he's wiggling away, and his sock's gross and it's nasty. And then you see this, and then he, I thought he was actually going to snap. Lawler's leg because it didn't look like Lawler bent that sort of way. Yeah, there might have been a little extra emphasis on that sharpshooter. I know, I know, King wasn't necessarily too popular with a lot of guys that were around at that time <laughs> uh, due to some past business dealings, a bit of a reputation. But well, a so great Lawler, match. Ki Lawler kisses two feet here, though, doesn't oh, yeah. Brett he? Kisses sticks his, his own foot, foot. Kisses, and then he kisses right. his own. He kisses foot. Brett's foot, and yeah. then Brett forces King to kiss his own disgusting, manure-soaked, hadn't been washed in months. Uh, I believe I believe it was Doc Hendricks who had a line uh, regarding Jerry Sox filing a restraining order against him because they were so foul. Uh, and of course, Jerry gets the taste of his own medicine. Your winner, Brett the Hitman Hart. This match, this pay per view is worth going back and checking out just for that just match. It was just fun. It, it's a throwback. I don't know that it would hold up or work as well today, but it was just fun, man. Just fun well, of to relive. Course. The kiss my foot match would grow in a few years and become a kiss my ass match. It didn't grow, Vicky. <laughs> I mean, it kind of evolved, I guess you should say. Yeah, to kiss my ass match. But let's not forget the cool vignette or the cool little backstage after this. Doesn't Jerry Lawler, like, throw up in the sink? Yeah, we are uh -huh. shown later in the evening Jerry actually <laughs> so physically cool. vomiting in the sink yes. while also squeezing a tube of toothpaste <laughs> down his own throat. <laughs> just And a shattered bottle of mouthwash that he yeah, just couldn't... <laughs> Couldn't just seem to get all of it out. Just of <laughs> quintessentially hokey wrestling stuff. Excellent. But I love that sort of stuff from time to time in small doses. But there is nothing small about the stakes of our next match. It is that time, Vic. We are about to crown the 1995 King of the Ring in the home of Rocky Balboa, Take Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, Savio Vega versus the Behemoth. Mabel. And Savio Vega now has defeated IRS, Yokozuna, the roadie. Mabel had a bye to get into this. Had to a defeat the Mabel. Undertaker. Fresh. fresh Mabel. So to your point earlier about Vega having a time to breathe, he had one match. To put it that way, he had the kiss my foot match. And then all of a sudden he had to come right back to the ring. Savio's up against it. This is, this is a, a rough night for Savio Vega. But will he finally capture his glory? No. No, he won't. Uh, and honestly, there, there was, uh, it was a good match. It was not what you would imagine for the finals of the King of the Ring tournament, particularly in 2021, where it's got prestige and value and, and everything about the shows are different and, and better now, in my opinion, particularly than they were on this night in 1995. Mabel becomes King of the Ring. And once he is adorned with his official WWE King of the Ring crown, which looked like it cost about nine bucks at the Halloween Adventure Store, and the robe. Sir Moe, who is knighted before God in the world on WWE pay-per-view, delivers the worst freaking speech, 
the coronation speech from Sir Mo regarding the brand new King Mabel took approximately 41 minutes. Sir Mo out there doing his best sports entertainment bad guy scowl, complete with inappropriate laughing in between lines. <laughs> Just to show you how evil I am. And his scowl. And you can see there are several times if you look at Mabel, he's going, What are we? Why are we still out here? What are we doing? He's like, I don't even think I'm king anymore. It's been that long. Mabel sits there for 29 minutes while Sir Mo coronates him as the brand new king of the WWE with a sword, which was cool even back then. I don't remember the sword. I always remember the scepter, mm-hmm. but the sword, yeah. it, it looked cool. I was cool with, with King Mabel. I mean, he was a big monster of a human being. I dug it. I was pissed. This is my second King of the Ring, and I remember uh, 94, I really wanted Razor to win, and I was so mad when Owen won that one. And this one, I wanted, like, Sean or Taker, and it's just like, ah, oh, man, like, these King of the no, Rings no, are no, so no, fun Dan. to watch, but I was no, always no, so Dan, mad. Dan, Dan, We are in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, the home of Rocky Balboa. <laughs> oh, you wanted Savio Vega. Rocky loses in the first one, that's so there true. you go. That's that is true. true. So maybe that's, see, here I am trying to make fun, and meanwhile, this is exactly what the uh, what the intended goal was. Brand new talk, King of the Ring. What? Can, can we talk about how Mo reads from the biggest scroll I have ever seen in my entire life? Out of and paper. then, and then to start, he and this is where he loses me right at the beginning. When you think of things from this, you know, medieval times or whatever, it's always "Hear ye, hear ye" to start the to start the speech. Right? Mo delivers it as "Hear ye, hear ye." <laughs> Hey. And, and uh, right off the bat, I knew this was not going to be a good speech. It, it was it was definitely quite a speech. I'm actually going to back it up a little bit because I, I took down some notes as I was watching this the other day. I actually love the ending of the matchup because I am a sucker for when guys try to hit their finishing maneuvers more than once and succeed, and that eventually wins the match. This, I'm sorry, Mabel delivers this monster splash. Savio Vega kicks out at two and nine-tenths. And Mabel stands back up and goes, "Uh uh-uh, we're going to do this again. Boom, second splash, Savio kicks out at three and a half. And it's like it was just overwhelmed. I always talk about my, my, for my money, one of my favorite matches, Stone Cold and The Rock from WrestleMania 19, where it was three rock bottoms. Hits one on Austin, Austin kicks. Another one, somehow Austin kicks. Can you believe it? Stone Cold kicked out of two rock bottoms. There's no way Rock's going to win this. Third rock bottom, did the job. Okay, it protects the move. It, I, I just loved everything about it. It's simple to me. One of my favorites is when somebody hits the finish. You think it's it, but like the finish, like the force of it sends them out of the ring. And it's like, God oh, damn it, I can't pin him now. Right, right. And, and then there was all sorts of extracurricular activity after the matchup, that being uh, the attack from Sir Mo and King Mabel on Razor Ramon, who suffered a rib injury in the weeks leading up to King of the Ring, was not medically cleared to compete in the tournament, had his ribs taped up. It seemed as though Mabel and Moe were focused on injuring the bad guy's already injured ribs, and Mabel does the unthinkable. Climbs to the middle rope. Surely he will deliver a 500-plus pound splash onto the already injured ribs of Razor Ramon. Uh-uh. Mabel goes all just in the left field with an elbow drop to the face. Maybe the stiffest looking elbow drop I've ever seen. I'm surprised it didn't crush Scott Hall's skull. Uh, Drops the elbow. Razor Ramon, he's done for. Nothing happening. Razor's been beaten down. Savio Vega coming up short in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, the home of Rocky Balboa. And then 
the one, two, three kid hits the ring, trying to come to the aid of his friend, Razor Ramon, and assume, assuming he's friends with Savio Vega, he meets the same fate. Mabel and Moe take out one, two, three kid. Mabel intends on delivering the same fate, likely another monstrous elbow to the face of the one, two, three kid, but the officials break it up, restore a little order. What I want to know is what the one, two, three kid had on these officials that they came to his aid after watching Razor Ramon be decimated. I mean, if Mabel's, I don't know why Mabel just didn't jump through all the officials. He would have squashed all of them right then and there to get to the one, two, three kid. Just take everybody out. He's the yeah, king. I, He's the king at this point. Who cares? It doesn't make, it, it, it's crazy to me. The injured Razor Ramon was was fine to be attacked, but one, two, three kid who was fresh and in a very nice track hey, suit. delivered some offense. He yep. throwing the kicks. That and, was too far. Yeah, nope. He was in, in danger. The officials needed to break that up. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side-by-side. Side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. We finally arrive at the main event of the evening. A colossal tag team matchup with Big Daddy Cool Diesel, the WWE champion, and Bam Bam Bigelow against the million-dollar corporation comprised of Native American Tatanka, which I notice had to be said in full anytime Tatanka was referenced. I don't think at any point they just called him Tatanka. They called him Native American Tatanka, just in case you weren't sure what his deal was. And one of my favorites of all time, Psycho Sid. But don't call him Psycho. Oh, he said, this was fun because it's babyface Bam Bam, right? You know, it's it's a whole different version of Bam Bam Bigelow. Most people always remember Bam Bam Bigelow as being that rough, tough, you know, individual who is a heel, Luna Vachon. They forget that little babyface spectrum for him. And then Tatanka. What's a babyface? What, what's a babyface? Am, am I oh, reading I'm the sorry, internet? Am, I, am yeah, I reading the he's, internet? He's, he's, a, he's a nice huh? individual. Grace, uh, he's a nice individual. He's a hero. I don't know if I would call Bam Bam he's a like hero. Fan favorite. He's, he's a fan favorite. He's a fan, fan favorite. favorite. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The fan favorite, Bam Bam Bigelow, people tend to forget. You know, they always think about Luna Vachon and whatnot and then being an evil person and mean. The, the fan favorite Bam Bam comes out to play. Tataka was always interesting to me growing up because until he ran into the Million Dollar Man, he was always out there smiling. Everyone loved him and had a hell of an undefeated run that never led to any sort of championship nod I, I don't even recall Tatanka ever being in the championship picture I believe was Tatanka intercontinental champion at one point I don't think Tatanka don't ever think won so. any title to, and I don't know that that's just me spitting so I'm sure I'll either be told I'm wrong now or on social media but I don't ever recall him ever winning a title in the WWE and never being in the championship picture so Tatanka did win one accolade in the WWE when he was there. He is a 1994 Slammy Award winner for the greediest superstar. 
Bite Boom. your tongue, Vic. That, you never won a, a title. Well, greediest superstar slammy. I mean, that's arguably that's just you as would prestigious. Like, but never yeah. an Intercontinental Championship, never a world title, never a tag team title. Nothing. I think that's what's wrong. He should have won some are gold. You implying that Tatanka didn't live up to your expectations, Vic? Hey, when you're <laughs> undefeated for that long, give the guy an opportunity. Well, listen, here's the opportunity for Tatanka and Psycho Sid to rid the WWE of Bam Bam, of Big Daddy Cool. Uh, and, and this match, aside from being incredibly long, I felt Too like long. this match would never minutes. end. It was a very, very long matchup. Diesel was in full Big Daddy Cool early beginnings of Big Sexy. The, the main was flowing, just the vibe. Everything about Diesel was cool. It was not the sports entertainers that we had known and loved up to that point. It was very, very believable. He was laid back. He wasn't yelling. I, I really was a big fan of Diesel at the time. What stood out to me, to your point about Bam Bam Bigelow always being more uh, known and successful as a villain, Bam Bam looked like he was still trying to figure out that flame apparatus on the way to the <laughs> ring. He, he did his little hop, and he went to shoot the little... Uh, road flares out of his hands and it looked kind of uncomfortable and then Bam Bam got in the ring and didn't know which direction he was going and nearly James Hetfielded himself That's when right. the pyro in the ring actually went off like I don't think anyone realizes how close to disaster we were in that instance when Bam Bam just turned the wrong way and boom here's pyro so I mean that one could have been over before it started now, if I remember correctly, back to your point, Vic, about uh, Bam Bam becoming more of a fan favorite, that's when his gear changed too, right? Because earlier, villain Bam Bam had kind of like the blue flame kind of thing yes. going on in the gear. And then as he transitioned into this more fan favorite character, that's when he went all full black with the orange and yellow. But flame. he looked so cool with the big oh, jacket awesome. and the yeah. big collar Fair on scarf it. scarf thing, yeah, that collar with flames. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he looked like the guy that spit in Newman's face in Jurassic Park with the big collar. <laughs> yeah, the Delano Earth. Yeah. In my constant <laughs> efforts to create an internet conspiracy or at least discussion, uh, I go. think in the backstage interview with uh, Bam Bam and Diesel in the locker room, I'm pretty sure Bam Bam Bigelow gives the world its first glimpse of what would eventually be known as Steiner math. Yes. The world loves Scott Steiner. Scott Steiner did it better than anybody else, but I think Bam Bam might have done it first. There is a mathematical equation that Bammers spits out before the match, explaining why he and Diesel are 220% confident, but he only added 100 and 100 yep. or something. It was very wonky. It's not Regardless, as complex of an equation as Scott's. Right, right. Yeah, Steiner really, Steiner advanced that. He took, yeah. he made it a college course. But I think the uh, the rudimentary roots of Steiner math were laid by none other than Bam Bam Bigelow, who, again, while we're talking about Mabel and what a physical specimen he is, Yokozuna, you got to throw Bam Bam into the conversation. Bam Bam, well over 400 pounds, moved like a freaking cruiserweight. Unreal human being. It comes to uh, Bam Bam Bigelow, you always, for, sorry, you always forget about Bam Bam. Why is he not in conversations of people that should be in the WWE Hall of Fame? I think there has been kind of a groundswell as of as of in recent years of of getting Bam Bam in the Hall of Fame. And yeah, I would and, I would definitely know, I would definitely that out there. support that argument. Absolutely. Bam Bam Bigelow for WWE Hall of Fame. We actually saw the Hall of Fame earlier in the night. How weird and different did it look? They had Very. been at the at the Philadelphia Marriott, and it was the just brand sort of new a video Philadelphia package. Marriott. By the, the way, it had just right. opened. <laughs> it was brand new. But my takeaway from the the Philadelphia Marriott uh, Hall of Fame ceremony, Bill Murray. Inducted yes. George the Animal Steel. With the worst lighting ever on top of Horrible the Horrible lighting. Couldn't even yes. see it was Bill Murray. I'm not entirely sure to this moment it was actually him. Maybe just somebody who does a great impression of him. But Bill Murray on a horse 
inducting George the Animal Steel. Pretty wild. My takeaway is we need more Polish folk songs in the Hall of Fame ceremony. Yes. Uh, yes, yes. <laughs> Ivan Putski just yes. cutting a rug on the stage there. What, what a time that was. Ultimately, after a long 17-plus minute battle, Big Daddy Cool Diesel and his partner emerge victorious, defeating the nefarious million-dollar corporation and uh, continuing to, I don't know, Sid actually walked out on Tatanka at the end of this match. Did he? I didn't even, I, I think I yeah. turned it off. <laughs> he walked right down the aisle and Tatanka got pinned and that was the end of the, end of the pay-per-view. I will state this. A lot of people talk about this being one of the worst WWE produced pay-per-views when you look at online. I think it ends up leading to SummerSlam 95, which to me is a little bit worse. Uh, we can talk about that at a later date. But to me, I had a lot of fun watching this and reliving it because I enjoyed the Savio Vegas story. I loved the Bret Hart, Jerry Lawler thread of what they were doing because that was, again, a throwback. That wasn't just something that popped up for six, seven months of a rivalry. That thing, that story goes back years and times from, you know, King on commentary. And then it even continued with King uh, saying that Owen Hart was the real king of the Hart family. And it played so well into this night. And you, you were right, Graves. This night was about building new stars, Mabel. Savio Vega to push forward the new generation of the WWE. So I don't think it was as bad as people give it credit to be. I think it leads to SummerSlam, which again, to me, is one of the worst pay-per-views of all time, uh, in, in my opinion. So I give a lot of credit to this night. It's one that, again, I do remember very fondly. I think ultimately it's a fun little time capsule, much like when we look back at Fall Brawl 1995. I don't know why we've chosen 1995. Seems like a banner year for not great sports entertainment. But <laughs> this is actually kids. the yeah, we're all kids. We were kids. <laughs> and this is actually the 95th episode of After the Bell, so maybe that has something oh, to do there. Wow. Look at that. Cheers. Weird happenstance. Absolutely crazy. Uh it was a it was a fun trip down memory lane, even if it wasn't spectacular from an action standpoint. It was just a cool little time capsule and the characters and just, it's worth going back and watching it for no other reason to appreciate how far we've come. It felt almost prehistoric. The pyro just looked so cheap in the entrance way. And it just, it, it was a different time. And it was prior to the attitude era and the business booming and WWE becoming a global powerhouse. Uh, it's just kind of nice to remember your roots from time to time and and look back at some of the characters that we remember from our childhood. And even stuff that is hokey as hell now, like the Kiss My Foot match, I remember being nine, ten years old in my living room and just cheering my ass off because, like, Lawler was getting his and he was throwing up and just laughing so hard at that. Like, you know, it, it was a more innocent time and we were more easily entertained by things like that. I think. And Dan was walking around asking his mom, how come you don't know who Jeff Jarrett is? Where's the cassette tape, mom? <laughs> like he didn't know. He's a megastar. <laughs> I agree with you, Dan, actually. Like this event does not encompass any of the things that I would grow to really truly love about sports entertainment, like into my, into my older years. But I look back on it so fondly because I remember being such like a naive kid and how much this stuff this simple stuff like the kiss my foot match and the, the rivalry between Hart, uh, Bret Hart and Jerry Lawler just entertained me so much. It, it was so much fun. Um, really quick footnote before we get, uh, before we wrap this up. So I talked earlier about the significance of the spectrum. Uh, there was another historical significance in this event, which was this is apparently, according to lore, the event where uh, Vince became first aware 
of a little company in Philadelphia called ECW. Now, if you remember, if, if we go back to Mabel versus Savio in the finals of the King of the Ring, you heard some ECW chants during that match. Uh, there was a moment where, a, where someone in the IOA held up an ECW t-shirt as someone's walking down to the ring. And also, the two most famous audience members in all of ECW, the two guys with the Hawaiian shirts that are always front row at the ECW arena, were front row right on hard cam for King of the Ring 95. So this event, according to lore, is what made Vince become aware of the company and eventually, which would lead to, in later years, the ECW invasion that we saw on Monday Night Raw. Interesting little factoid. I mean, you weren't but a, a close enough to throw a rock from the corner of Swanson and Rittner in uh, South Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. We all know how that worked out. Before we... Shut this thing down before we move on. I have to know. We saw some of the best hair in WWE history <laughs> throughout the course of the night. I mean, we've got the roadies braids, and they were long, and I believe blonde, and they were just outrageous at the time. Savio Vega, really a, a front runner here by shaving his initials into the back of his head. Um, we've got Diesel's beautiful flowing locks we mentioned earlier. Mabel and Mo, a couple of unique Mohawks. I have to give the nod to the Supreme Fighting Machine, Kama Mustafa, because to walk around with that hairdo, you wow. had to be a badass. That's how you knew not to mess with Kama. Anyone that will willingly cut their hair in that manner will probably eat you alive. So don't mess with Kama. I'm taking it around the horn. Dan, who had the best hair in King of the Ring 1995? I'm going to go with the Dark Horse. I'm going to go with Waltman, because back then I was inspired to try to grow my hair out because I wanted to look like the 123 Kid in wow. sixth grade. Interesting. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Well, now you guys have the same, uh, not not much on top and a Down nice beard. Right? Nice. Yeah. <laughs> you eventually got there, Dan. <laughs> yeah, half of it, yeah. <laughs> what about you, Alex? Uh, I got to go with uh, something that attracted Dan's mother so much, which was the Bob Sparkplug Holly flowing locks. My goodness, he just looked really, really fresh out of 1995. The the long mullet was certainly popular back then, and, and Bob, I think, pulled it off the best on the show. Vic? I'm going to go with the roadie with the braids. I thought that that was awesome to see when it's all done up, up there and whatnot. I, I give the nod to uh, old uh, Road Dog. And we have to give an honorable mention to that mullet being rocked by HBK. God dang, that wow. thing was fierce at the time. Inspired uh, today's kid. Isn't it weird mullets are kind of a thing now? My son took, made me take him to the barbershop to get a mullet. It's uh it's back. It's and let's not forget the mullet. He also had a little bit of a beard, a full beard had grown in. I think double Sean going on. King yeah. of the Ring, the stubble. So he had a whole fresh face of hair. Sean. And we're talking about mullets and nostalgia and going back to 1995, talking about the King of the Ring. I'd, I'd be wrong if I didn't remind everybody that this upcoming Tuesday, October the 26th, on the USA Network, Halloween Havoc, one of my favorite WCW pay-per-views of the past. So honored to be part of the first one in WWE history. It'll happen this Tuesday. NXT Halloween Havoc cannot wait to get there. Well, we want to know what you, the ATB faithful, think. Who had the best hair of King of the Ring 1995? Pull it up, Peacock, WWE Network. Check it out. It's worth reliving, if for only to laugh at for your own entertainment. Let us know who you think wins the competition. Use the hashtag after the bell. Make sure you follow us at, at after the bell WWE on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find me at WWE Graves. You can find him at Vic Joseph WWE. Listen for free on Spotify. Just search after the bell. Hit the follow button so you never miss an episode. We'll be back next week with more wisdom 
more vitriol and more WWE after the bell.